0: A beautiful Sunday morning that the Lord has given us. My name is Jacob Yarbrough, and I serve as one of the elders here. And um, It's always a privilege to read God's Word in the worship service, but but I've had the privilege of reading it twice in a row. So, if you would, if you want to follow along, I'm going to be reading from the book of Colossians. Colossians chapter 4, verses 7 through 18. And if you'd like to follow along, please Please follow me as as I read God's word. Colossians chapter 4, verses 7 through 18. As to all my affairs, Tychius, our beloved brother and faithful servant and fellow bondservant in the Lord, will bring you information. For I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him... Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of your number. They will inform you about the whole situation here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, sends you his greetings, and also Barnabas, uh, cousin Mark, about whom you received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. And also Jesus, who is called Justice. These are the only fellow workers for the kingdom of God who are from the circumcision And they have proved to be an encouragement to me. Epaphras, who is one of your number, a bond slave of Jesus Christ, sends you his greetings, always laboring earnestly for you in his prayers, that you may stand perfect and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has a deep concern for you and for those who are in Laodicea and Hierapolis. Luke, the beloved Felician, position, sends you his greetings and also Demas. Greet the brethren who are in Laodicea and also Nympha and the church that is in her house. And when this letter is read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans and you, for your part, read my letter that is coming from Laodicea and say to Archippus, take heed to the ministry which you have received in the Lord that you may fulfill it. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my imprisonment. Grace be with you. And may God bless the reading of his word. You thought that there was only one Jesus in the Bible. Anybody else go like, what, what?
1: Um, yeah, it was a common Hebrew name. It's the name of Joshua or Yeshua. So it was relatively common in the first century. But moving on. Uh, well, I just want to say good morning to you all. Thank you for being here at Calvary Bible Church this morning. I would just encourage you to stay there. In Colossians chapter 4, we're in our 13th and final week of our time in the book of colossians as you probably know we've been working our way verse by verse chapter by chapter from the beginning to the end of the book and we are finally going to finish this week and um, i'm expecting confetti but you know next year i'll budget it in and then y'all can um but the mission of calvary bible church is to guide all people to become biblical followers of christ through intentional relationships that's what we're here for before we really get into Colossians chapter four, and before we put a bow on this book, what I want to do this morning is I want to pray real quick, and then we will just kind of dive in. Father, we thank you for this morning. I thank you for Calvary Bible Church. I thank you. I thank you for our devotion to making your word known. And this morning, I pray that there will be clarity as we look at all of these names. And Lord, I just um, I, li- I lift up. This time to you, if anybody in this room does not have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, if anybody does not know you as Savior, I pray that they would open their eyes to the truth and their need for one, and be with our time together, in Jesus' name. Amen. So today we're going to be unpacking Colossians chapter 4, verse 7 through 18, and today I want to talk to you about living the new self as a team. Living the new self as a team. Christianity is a team sport. And like every other team sport, it requires that we work as a team and it's impossible to win without one. What I saw this week in Colossians chapter 4 is Paul's need for a team. And Paul's need for a team reveals our need for a team of believers around us. So my goal today is to encourage each of us to be part of the body of Christ, be part of that ball club. But allow me to begin this morning with some true-false statements. Sorry if I gave you PTSD for college. Okay, uh, true or false? Living the Christian life requires a team. True or false? Christians on your team will sometimes get on your nerves. True? Yeah. (laughs) I started to get an amen to that one. Okay. True or false, God made us part of a spiritual organism that requires one another. True or false, working on a team of Christians requires constant forgiveness and humility. True or false, it is impossible to grow in your faith without a group of believers around you. If you still don't believe all this, I want you to think about your life. If you are a professing Christian, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, what I want you to do this morning before we go on, if you're, if you're still, if you still think that you can really grow in your faith by living on an island and not having any relationships with any other believers, if you think that is true, then what I want you to do this morning is I want you to look at your life. If you're a believer in Christ Jesus, look at how you came to Christ and how you grew in your faith. I would imagine each of us have at least one person that was integral to helping us grow in our faith, whether that person was a pastor who introduced the gospel to us, whether that was a parent that dragged us to church every Sunday morning, or whether it was a friend or a grow group. I would imagine here today that it's not just one person that was integral in your life, but it was actually multiple people. You know, I think about my life. You know, my parents, they were great parents. They planted the seed of the gospel. And then I came here to Calvary Bible Church as an eight-year-old. Yes, they were brave enough to hire me Um, some 30 years later. Okay, whatever it's been. And And then I think about my church at the time, watered it, and then a pastor cultivated it, and then seminary and friends helped me kind of grow and begin to produce fruit. Living the Christian life is not an individual sport. It's not like tennis or golf. It is a team effort as a whole that we need one another, that we as Christians are meant to be part of a team. Now if you don't, still don't believe me, what does the scripture say? I mean, think about it. There's 59 one another's in the text itself, and I'm don't have time to read all of those this morning. But those prove that we need one another. But a good team helps us overcome sin, helps us point out temptation, encourages us, teaches us, inspires, consoles us. Scriptures like James 5:16, Galatians 6:2, Hebrews 3:13, Hebrews 12:1, and Hebrews chapter 10. We as Christians are not meant to be alone. It is impossible to truly grow in your faith without people around you. So that's what Paul really wants to talk to us about today. What we see in chapter 4 at the end of this book, in the final week of the book of Colossians, we see Paul's team. He has nine different members of his team as a whole. And what I want to do this morning is we don't really have time to look at all nine teammates of Paul, all nine that are on the ball club. But what I I really want to do today is just look at the infield, okay? I want to look at the third baseman, the shortstop, the second baseman, and the first baseman. I want to look at a man named Onesimus. I want to look at somebody named Tychicus, Epaphras, and Luke. Those are the four I really want to observe today. Why? Well, the rest of the names are important, but the rest of the names are like the outfield Outfielder in Little League. Okay, it's important, but not much is done out there. That's why you stick, that's why you put me in the outfield. So what I want to do today is just look at four main characters. And what I really want to do is just see a basic principle of how we as Christians interact as a team from each one of them. From Tychicus, Onesimus, Epaphras, and for Luke. And kind of where we are, the question that Paul really answers today is this one. How can we work as a team of new selves or new creations? And as you know, where we are in the book of Colossians, I'm not going to do a bigger view today. Um, but really, what has Paul been talking about? Because of chapter 1, because of what Christ has done, that the Father qualified, rescued, and transferred, because we've been reconciled through the blood of Christ, and we are holy and blameless beyond reproach, that we are a new creation because of what Christ has done for us. So what Paul has been doing in Colossians chapter 3 is he's been kind of describing, okay, because you're a new creation, how do we then live, to live as a new self? And what has Paul really talked about to this point? That we should live the new self in thought. To think on that and not this chaos down here. To to live the new self in our conduct, in our homes, in our speech, and today as a team as a whole. So if you have your text in front of you, the first one I want to talk to you about today is the third baseman. A man named Tychicus. And the principle that I see from Tychicus mentioned in Colossians chapter 4 is this in verse 7 and 8. Tychicus Proves to me the principle that someone needs to know you. That someone needs to know you. That inside the body of Christ, inside of believers, that we should have somebody that we talk to about things. Notice what it says in verse 7. This is Paul talking. He does this often at the very end of his letters. He kind of gives credits, you know, at the end of a movie. We see the credits rolling at the end. This is kind of what Paul does at the end of Colossians. As to all of my affairs. I want you to notice that very first phrase. He doesn't just say, as to my affairs. There's a key word up here. As to all of my affairs. Wait a second. This guy named Tychicus knows everything. Our beloved brother and faithful servant, notice what he calls him, and fellow bondservant in the Lord, he will bring you information. Now, notice here the responsibility of Tychicus. He will bring the church in Colossae information pertaining to all of Paul's affairs. Now, I don't... Paul wasn't perfect, because we know that, because he died. So that's how you verify that one. Um, But... You know, he had to trust this guy named Tychicus, but he, because Ty- Tychicus is well familiar with all of Paul's affairs. He knows Paul's struggles, he knows his prayer needs. In chapter 4, verse 3, he knows of Paul's trials, his pain, his doubts, his questions, his ministry, what he needs in jail. Tychicus knows all of Paul's affairs. But then notice here, what Paul calls him number 1 he calls him a beloved brother a a loved brother quite literally a one that that is part of the family of God a believer in Christ the second a faithful servant this is kind of one of Paul's highest commendations so he's not Titus is not just a believer but he is also a faithful servant and fellow bond servant in the Lord he is He identifies with the cross. What does it say in the Gospels? That anyone who wants to follow me must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Okay. So he knows all of his affairs, beloved brother, faithful servant, and bondservant in the Lord. This is Paul's third baseman. Alright, um, but who really is Tychicus? Who is the guy? What's his history? There's five times in the New Testament that Tychicus is mentioned. And what we find from those times is the name Tychicus means fortunate or fortuitous. And he has been, by Paul's side, glued to his side day in and day out for at least two years. Tychicus met Paul at the end of his third missionary journey in Acts chapter 20 verse 4. Tychicus then hops on a boat probably with Paul, follows Paul all the way to modern-day Israel before his trials at the end of the book of Acts. Then what does Paul do in the book of Acts? He then appeals to Caesar. Paul then travels all the way to Rome for his trial before Caesar, and Tychicus accompanies him the whole time. How do we know that? Because he's in prison, or at least accompanying Paul in prison. So that's how we know Tychicus has stuck with Paul. But then notice with me verse 8 of chapter 4. What is his mission? What is Titus's mission? It's this right here. To bring you information for... And anytime you see the word for, think explanation. He is explaining verse 7. What kind of information is he bringing? For what purpose? For I have sent him to you for this very purpose. Two things. That you may know about our circumstances. Of course Tychicus can talk about a circus. He knows everything anyways. I mean that might be a little terrifying for Paul. I mean I don't really know exactly what Tychicus knew as a whole, but I would imagine it's probably a little bit nerve wracking for Paul to send this guy to the city of Colossae, but it shows you how much he trusts. That that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. So the two Purposes for Tychicus' visit to the city in the church of Colossae are these two. Number one, that he would let them know of his affairs. And number two, to encourage their heart. To live the new self as a team, we see the principle from Tychicus that someone on the team needs to know you. But then I want you to notice at the end, really what's implicit in verse 8. For I have sent him to you for this very purpose That you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your heart. What is Paul doing here? He is giving Tychicus permission to share Paul's personal information. Um, Can I just say something? Okay. Um, If someone trusts you, what's the quickest, let me just, what's the quickest way to break somebody's trust? okay it is by telling other people what they told you Can you track with me okay that is the quickest way to betray somebody's trust unless they gave you explicit permission to share like paul gave to Tychicus in colossians 4 8 you know friends listen if you tell people other people's information not only will it break down trust but if you share that information what's it called yeah, thank you. It's called gossip. Uh, I had I worked at a church one time. I won't, you know, I'm not gonna say any names. But one time I worked at a church, and it was kind of uh, a, a membership requirement <laughs> to gossip about other believers. I mean, it just it just was. I mean, it was like every time on, you know, and just people just talked about it. It was like I expected that I share people's information. Um, You can probably guess what happened to that particular organization, okay? It did not go well. That if we share other people's information, it is called gossip. Now, notice here that Paul gives him permission. Now, if let me just say something else. If someone trusts you, keep it to yourself. Unless they're about to hurt themselves or hurt somebody else, just keep it to yourself. And also, number two, if you have, we're just talking about conflict resolution. I don't know why I'm going off on this rabbit trail, but hey, man, maybe somebody needs to hear it. If if there's a if you have a problem with somebody in the church, okay, what should you do? Yeah, you you go directly to them, and if you don't have enough guts to go directly to them, then that means it's not big enough to address, and then therefore you should let it go. Tracking with me? So what I see here in Paul is Paul gives Tychicus permission to share his personal information about all of Paul's affairs. So we see that principle of Tychicus' life. Someone needs to know you, his third baseman. But then notice Paul's shortstop, a man named Onesimus. And you've probably heard his name before. This is the principle that I see in Onesimus' life, that second chances people need. I came up with my inner inner Yoda from Star Wars. Okay, it's kind of out of order here. Onesimus, second chances people need. Notice verse 9. And with Tychicus, Onesimus, our faithful And beloved brother, well, wait a second, what does that mean? Who is one of your number, what does that mean? They will inform you about the whole situation here. What we learn from Onesimus' life is that second chances people need. Onesimus' life displays the need for us to give people second chances, in other words, to forgive them. Now, let me pause for just a second. When you forgive somebody, it doesn't automatically make it things go back to the way it was. You track with me, if someone gossips about you, you're not going to go back to that person most likely and just share your inner thoughts. You track with me? But now you can forgive them, but things might not go back to the same they were. Onesimus' life proves to me that people on the team of church need second chances. To illustrate the idea of forgiveness and consequences, uh Thursday of this week I was trying to get my 6-year-old to bed. And if you know Bren Um, she's, she's a great kid. She really is. Hopefully y'all think that too. I think she's a great kid. Okay. Um, (laughs) so she's around here. So just anyways, moving on. Okay. Uh, and we were, I was trying to get my six year old to go to bed and it was late at night and she was on a tablet. I know we can talk about appearing later. It's fine. Okay. Um, and, and I say, okay, Brent, we need to go to bed. And she says something snarky to me. Not a good idea. Okay. And then I, I said, excuse me. And she said she said it again. I said, oh, really? Okay. So then, of course, I take the iPad away, and she just comes completely unglued, right? She's just, I'm so sorry, Daddy. I'm so sorry. And I said, baby, I forgive you. And then she's like, well, give me the iPad back then. And I said, baby, I forgive you, but there are still consequences to your actions. That's what I see in Onesimus' life. People need second chances, but it doesn't automatically mean that things return to the way they were. But this, has, this verse has nothing to do with second chances, right? So where am I getting this from? Who, how many of you recognize the name Onesimus? might recognize that name outside? The whole book of Philemon is centered around this one guy. What, what do we know about Onesimus? Onesimus is what? A runaway slave. He ran away from his former master Philemon. And who is Philemon? This is a small world. It's crazy how, how all this works. Philemon is a really rich dude in the city of Colossae who hosts the church of Colossae in his home. So then his slave named Onesimus runs away, runs all the way from modern day Turkey, all the way, happens to go to Rome. He then finds in Rome a man named Paul, then becomes converted, and then he's already one of them. And then Paul, in the book of Philemon, what does he do? He asks Philemon, his former master, hey, okay, this guy named Onesimus, I know he's your former slave, and I know he messed up, but you kind of need to give him a second chance. That's the whole point of the book of Philemon. This guy, despite his mistake, needs a second chance to go back to the... His master named Philemon. And just imagine when the church of Colossae, you know, wait a second, so, okay, if the church in Colossae meets at Philemon's home, so then what do they know? They know who Onesimus is. He used to be a slave there probably less than a year, less than a year ago. So then when they read in Colossians 4.9 that he is a faithful, beloved brother. What are the bells and alarms going off in their mind? That, wait, not only is Anissimus returning, he's a runaway slave, but he's also has been converted, and not only that, but he's part of Paul's team. I mean, that would be mind blown to me in the small world of non-cell phones and, you know, all that kind of stuff. So we see Anissimus, and how do we know that Anissimus obeys Paul? How do we know that Anissimus returns to the house of Philemon? It's because we have the book of Colossians and the book of Philemon. Most scholars believe that this runaway slave named Onesimus is the very guy that carries with him two letters of the New Testament we find in our canon. So we see this man named Onesimus. He's a runaway slave, runs from his master named Philemon, meets Paul, is converted, and then is returned. And Paul asks Philemon to give this guy a second chance because he has been converted. He is a brother in Christ, and he should be treated as such. Okay. Catch everybody up. Um, let me just ask you the question. Who is an Onesimus in your life? Who is an Onesimus in your life? Who is someone in your life that needs a second chance, a third chance, a fourth chance, a fifth chance, a sixth chance? Maybe there's somebody in your life, maybe a child or a brother or a church member or a pastor or whatever, that just keeps hurting you and frustrating you and you keep giving sex to you, keep forgiving. Who is that person in your life? Put a name, put a face to it. Um, and I would encourage you to forgive them. Because, friends, if you push everyone away that ever hurts you, one day you will wake up and be totally alone. Why? Because people are flawed. Let me just just do a survey. All right? How many of you, and this doesn't have to be the church, this is people as a whole. How many of you have ever been hurt by somebody else? All right. 100%. Every single one of us in this room. Guess what? If you don't forgive people, if you push everybody away that ever hurt you, one day you're going to end up totally alone because people are flawed. They will hurt you. They will frustrate you. They will be like Onesimus. They will run away. They will stab you in the back, whatever it is. That's just the nature of people. So then we have to forgive. Life is too short to hang on to bitterness and anger and malice like the old self. But what is the standard, you know? I mean, here Philemon has to forgive his runaway slave named Onesimus. But what's the standard to forgive one another? I mean, think about the Pharisees in Matthew chapter 18 had a three-strikes-your-out rule. Then Peter said, man, you know, Jesus, I'm really spiritual, right? I'm going to give forgive seven times, but then they're, okay? But then what does Jesus say? He says 70 times seven. And why? We see the parable at the end of Matthew chapter 18. It's the parable of the debts. That because the Father has forgiven us so much more, than we should forgive one another. The question is this. Is Who is an onisimus in your life? Um, sometimes in the church, when we get burned, we kind of move away from everybody because it's safer not to relate to anyone. But friends, it, let me just say this again. It is impossible to grow in your faith without a good team around you. This is true. So we see the life of Tychicus, his third baseman, and then his shortstop. And then we see the second baseman named a guy named Epaphras. I believe he is in verse 12. This is the principle that I see from Epaphras' life. Live the new self as a team. Epaphras, shepherd others, pointing them to him. Shepherd others, pointing them to him. To him. Now, what in the world does that mean? Notice verse 12. Epaphras, who is also one of you. So, wait, he's part of the church. But what do we know about Epaphras from the other passages of the book of Colossians? Is that he is their pastor. He's not just a church member, but he is their shepherd, and he sends his greetings to the church in Colossae. What do we learn about Paul? second, from Paul's second baseman? It is that when we shepherd people, we should point them to him um can i just what do we really make church about what do we really make um sometimes sunday school or grow groups or gear up or whatever you do in the church what what do we really kind of make it about we really make it about nickels noses and nails you track on me on that or we really make it about ourselves well i had a lot of kids and my ego's filled i mean am i the only one that struggles with this stuff okay anyways moving on um we we'll do barnes confession booth later on okay um and then i won't share any inf- information about you i promise um but we all, oftentimes we make shepherding people serving people leading people about ourselves and not about pointing them to him and then notice here what does he call a apathras he says one of your number he's also a bond slave of christ jesus But why is Epaphras, if he's the pastor in Colossae, why is he in Rome currently? Epaphras is what? Asking Paul for help. If you are in ministry, if you're serving in any capacity, don't be afraid to ask for help. Um... We have this American mentality of I have to pull myself up by the bootstraps. It's all up to me. That's really not the case at all, that we are part of a spiritual organism, that if you don't know what to do, guess what? You can ask one another. You can seek the advice of other people. Paphris is in Rome asking for Paul's advice. Why? Why is this letter even written? What's really going on that Paphris, man, he is, a, he is like my hero. He is this guy that loves his church. He is described to Paul, his church. He describes it as three things in chapter one. That they walk by faith, they hope in the gospel, and they love in the spirit. And here's this guy named Epaphras. And what is his heart? Epaphras' heart is not to build a bigger church. It's not to have fancier things. It's not about having a nice car in the driveway. It's not about any of those things. Notice what he says in verse 12. What what does Epaphras want more than anything? This is where I get my point, guys. Always laboring earnestly for you in his prayers that you may stand perfect. That word perfect means complete. It is the same root word where Jesus said on the cross, it is finished. Stand complete and fully assured in the will of God. The word fully assured kind of gives the idea to understand and fulfill the will of God. So Epaphras is in Rome because he's asking for help. He doesn't really know what's going on, that there is this... heresy called Gnosticism boiling up that is eroding the truth of the gospel that he has taught them. He runs to Rome, but what does he really want for them? All he wants is that they may stand complete in Christ and be able to follow the will of God. This is where I get my point, friends. That when you shepherd other people, when you lead other people, whether it's in a small group, as an elder, a deacon, as a pastor, as a layman, whatever capacity it is, we must shepherd people to point them to him like i've already said we often make ministry about ourselves and how we feel or how successful we are or how pretty my building is but that's foolhardy epaphras is just a guy in a small town in the middle of turkey and he cares about his people that's why he's in rome with paul but then notice so that's paul's second baseman and then notice his first baseman a man named luke And we know a little bit about Luke, but live the new self as a team. And what do we learn from Luke? The principle that I see in the text and as a whole from his life is that somehow, some way God can use you. Somehow, some way God can use you. Notice verse 14 of chapter 4. Luke, the beloved physician, sends you his greetings and also Demas. Luke's life, in my opinion, testifies... That anyone can use, God can use anyone in amazing ways. I mean, just think about it. Paul, or excuse me, Luke is such a small blip in the Bible radar. He's only mentioned three times in the entire Bible. But this man named Luke, through the power of the Spirit, changes the world. Why? What do we know about Paul? Paul wrote what? The gospel, uh, excuse me, Luke wrote what? Luke wrote the Gospel of Luke, and he also wrote the Book of Acts. So here's this guy named Luke who accompanies Paul. He travels all around with him on his missionary journey. And he's just a simple physician, but because of his own meticulous personality, he begins to record all of the events of the Gospel and the Book of Acts and through the power of the Spirit. He records two books in the New Testament. I mean, I would have, I, I, I've always wondered what Luke would think. You know, am I really making a difference for the kingdom of God? And he's only mentioned three times in all of the New Testament, and he has a substantial impact. Friends, listen to me. You never know how God can use your life. You never know how God can use your faithfulness. I think oftentimes um, we serve in the church. Maybe you serve in an unknown area of the church, and you just wonder if you're making any difference for the kingdom of God. Am I track track with that? He, you just feel like a small blip that no one pays attention, no one notices. But his life tells me that God can use anyone, even if your role seems small. If you're serving at the downtown rescue mission, or you're serving in wana here, if you're serving in Gear up Hour, or if you're see- serving with children in the nursery, you have no idea how God can use your life and your faithfulness to the Lord. His life is a testimony to God can use anyone in amazing ways. But then we're going to notice the Bobby Cox of this group. Okay, you might know who Bobby Cox is. Okay, the Atlanta Braves track with me. Okay, um, that was when I was a child. So we have the teammates. We have the third shortstop, second, and first baseman named Luke, and then we have the manager of the of the team named Paul. And this is the sto- This is the lesson that I see from Paul's life in Colossians and beyond. Live the new self as a team, Paul. We learn is to stay the course, is to stay the course. Notice in your text, verse 18 of chapter 4. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my imprisonment. Grace be with you. It's not a lot to go on for preachers there. Okay. <laughs> I mean, there's some things to go on. We know that he's in prison. Great. I already knew that. Grace be with you. But wait, why is Paul in prison, he appealed to Caesar, he's sitting there waiting before, waiting under house arrest to see his day before who? Who is the emperor at the time? It's a psychopath named who? Nero, who is known in history for being crazy. Nero, rumors have it that he burned down Rome and then he blamed Christians. He then turned those Christians into candles for his garden by dipping them in hot boiling oil and then lighting them on fire. That is the guy that Paul is waiting to see. And Paul, despite all of the circumstances that he has faced, I mean, think about this guy named Paul. He has spent his whole life serving the Lord. He has spent all of his, at least especially his adult years, he has sacrificed so much. He's gone on missionary journeys. He's been stoned. He's been betrayed. He's done all these things. And if anybody on the, in the world had a The ability to complain, why me, Lord, I gave you everything, it would be this guy. And here he is. He's sitting in Rome under house arrest, waiting for his day before Nero, but Paul stays the course. Can I just, um, friends, don't give up. I think in times, in really dark times, when we're going through trials or pain or or people disappoint us, the temptation is just to lay down and quit And Christians will disappoint you and God will allow painful things to happen. But be like Paul and not like Demas in verse 14. Demas later on in the New Testament, Paul says he loved the world and ran away to other things. Paul shows to me that we should stay the course and be faithful to the end. But, I mean, why should we be faithful? You know, why should we stay the course? I mean, we could give the Bible something answered, and and this would be correct, technically. Why should we stay the course? Someone might say, well, because the Bible says so, which would be technically true. Um, Not really helpful, but, but it would be technically true. Why should we stay the course? If you're a believer in Jesus Christ and you encounter issues and trials and pain, why should you hang in there? Because Jesus truly is the only hope of the world. People are starving in our culture to look for a hero, to look for someone to rescue them. I mean, we're even resorting to the um, resources of having artificial intelligence, um, you know, rescue us called ChatGTBX or whatever it's called, okay? Um, We look for business leaders. We look for presidents. We look for politicians to help rescue us. But, friends, the more I live, the more I realize is that Jesus Christ truly is the only hope of the world. If the, the only hope of the world truly is is that you can have children and then you die and you push up daisies That is the extent of the hope of the world Friends, jesus christ is the light of the world He is the only hope that we truly have and because he is that way Let us stay the course Let us not give up Let us not Grow weary or lose heart If you're a believer in jesus christ Hang in there. But um, before we close and before I go to the what, what I want to do this morning is I want to share a letter about somebody staying the course, about a modern-day Paul. Her name was Kathy. Uh, This week an older gentleman came into my office, and he shared a letter written by his first wife, and he gave me permission to share this letter. And um, I read this letter, and I thought it was perfect for the sermon and for the example of Paul. Why? Because this woman named Kathy was a 41-year-old who was dying from breast cancer, and she was a believer in Jesus Christ. And of all the people in the world that could be bitter and resentful, that just want to give up on life and give up on God, it would probably be this one she has every excuse to. But here this dying woman writes this letter to her sister. And this is what she says near the end of her life as a 41-year-old. She says this to her sister, Just thought I'd write to share some thoughts with you, So you will know that I am, although I am dying, I will be all right. First, I know that I'm going to be healed. Whether it is here on earth as a temporary healing or as a very permanent healing in heaven doesn't seem to matter to me. But I am leaning more and more towards the second choice. The important fact is the healing, not where the healing takes place. Second. I find myself thanking our Lord more and more for who He is than anything else. He has given us Himself. Everything else is lent to us temporarily. He is the greatest gift because He is the only gift. So I have lost nothing. I have nothing to lose. I still have our Lord and therefore I still have what I always have possessed. So you see, dear sister, since we have Such a great and magnificent God, how can things not be right? Revelation 5 says this, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Blessing and honor and glory and power be unto him that sits upon the throne and unto the Lamb forever and ever. So dear sister, please don't worry about me or fret in any way. I need you to magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. Kathy passed away from that cancer just a few months after she wrote that letter. That's how it's done. That's how you stay the course. All of us will be disappointed in life. All of us will endure pain. All of us will suffer. All of us will live as a team of believers, and they will hurt us, they will disappoint us. They will let us down, that God will allow painful things to our life, and we're going to look up to heaven one day and say, why me? You've probably already done that. (laughs) Okay, why me, Lord? And he is our only hope, as Kathy has said, so stay the course. How can we work as a team of new lives? Someone needs to know you. Second, chances people need. When you shepherd others, point them to him. And somehow, some way, remember that God can use you and your faithfulness. And then number five is to stay the course. But then the question I have, as I would like to leave you with, is this one. So what? And this is the very last week in the book of Colossians. We've been in it for 13 weeks. We've been working our way slowly through it. And there were 10 people in total that we could have talked about today. And I chose just to talk about five. And so how do we take this? passage that we see all of these different ball players and how do we apply it to our life well number one i'm going to encourage you to pick a player to pick a player to look at the lives of tychicus onesimus epaphras luke or paul and just pick one that speaks to where you are maybe in here today you are discouraged be paul stay the course Or if you're part of a team of believers, look at other people around you that may be discouraged as well. And how can you encourage them? Maybe today you're wondering if God can ever use a sinner like you. Remember Luke. Or maybe someone else around you is questioning if they really make a difference for the kingdom of God or not. Because they're just doing, in their eyes, such a small task. Remind them of Luke. Maybe today you are struggling with what to do. Be Paphras. Ask Point people that you serve, point them to him. Or maybe today you're struggling with bitterness towards another person, and then you need to give somebody else a second chance, or maybe you need to go ask for forgiveness from somebody. But if you're also feeling isolated and alone, you feel like no one knows you, there's no, you have no community here or in your life, then be taichikus and let somebody know who you are. So kind of the so what is pick up pick a player and then number two is to pick a truth number two is to pick a truth so if you're if you identify with one of those five players i would encourage you to meditate on who they are but then also to close the book of colossians pick a truth i do not have time to read the whole book of colossians in its entirety in the next hour um i'll get you out of here by noon i promise well maybe i a promise i'll try my best um But what I want to do is I want us to pick a truth. What I'm going to ask everybody to do here today is this week sometime, I want you to read the book of Colossians from cover to cover, just one last time. And I want you to highlight one verse that speaks to you, that just kind of jumps off the page, that as you read it, it's just something different about it. What I want you to do with that verse is I want you to highlight it and then ask the Lord the question, Lord, what are you trying to communicate about yourself to me? Before we close, allow me to revisit some of the truths that we see. Pick a player and pick a truth. And these are some of the verses I've highlighted as I have read it. Chapter 1, verse 12. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. For he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Later on in chapter 1, verse 19. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him and through him to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross, through him I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven. And although you, 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 sinners, people, although you were formerly alien and hostile mind, engaged in evil deeds, yet he has now reconciled you in his flesh and body through death in order to present you before him, holy and blameless and beyond reproach. And all God's people say, Amen. Verse 28. And we proclaim him, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom, so that we may present every man complete in Christ. Chapter 2, verse 6. Therefore, as you have received Christ. This is the hinge of the whole book. Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so then walk in him. Verse 2 chapter 2 verse 13 when you were dead in your transgressions and uncircumcision of your flesh he made you alive together with him having forgiven us all our transgressions having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us which was hostile to us and he has taken it out of the way having nailed it to the cross Chapter 3, verse 1. Therefore, if you have been raised with Christ Jesus, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Verse 5 of chapter 3. Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead. Remember the original name? Kill it. It's immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. Verse 10. And put on the new self, who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. Verse 12. So as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another, forgiving each other, whoever has complaints against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so you should also. Verse 15. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which you indeed were called in one body, and be thankful. Chapter 3, verse 23. Whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men. Verse 6 of chapter 4. Let your speech always be with grace, as though seasoned with salt, so that you will know how you should respond to each person. That is some of the truth that we have unpacked over the last 13 weeks in uh, in the book of Colossians. So... My application today is pick a player, and then also pick a truth that speaks to you from the book. Pray with me. Father, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for Calvary Bible Church. I thank you that we can take our time to go verse by verse through a book and just how... Um applicable and real it is. And Lord, I pray that we as believers, that we would live as part of the body of Christ, as a spiritual organism that we are, part of a team, that we would encourage one another, that we would be known by other people, that we would forgive one another. All these basic principles, Lord, I pray that it would be so. And Lord, if we do not have... A relationship with other believers. Lord, I pray that we would see the sense of urgency that it is. In order to grow in our faith, it is impossible to do it without being in relationship with other believers. And I pray that um, if we don't have relationships, that we would pursue them with other believers. And Lord, before I close, Lord, if anybody does not have a personal relationship with you, if there is someone here that does not know where they would go when they die, I pray that the Spirit of God would open their eyes to the truth. That... um, that you have come and that you have died for their sin, and that because of their sin we are separated from God, for all of sinned, fall short of the glory of God, and that you sent forth your Son to die on the cross, and that if we would believe in him, that we shall be saved. If there's anyone in this room that does not have a personal relationship, I pray that they would believe in Jesus Christ as Savior of their life. I thank you for today. Thank you for the beautiful weather that we have. And Lord, I pray that we would live as a team of people inside of this church. In Jesus' name, amen.